Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 74 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I've got a really great show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest René Von der Flott. Uh, then instead of this week's hypnosis in the news I'm going to be discussing the use of scripts in hypnotherapy sessions. Are they a force for good or should we abandon them at all costs? And I'm going to offer up uh, um, um, a good case for both sides of this debate and discussion, I believe. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Renee Von der Flott, will be talking about her work on the creative mind, uh, why we need more creative thinkers and the challenges facing those people with creative minds, but importantly, how this uh, um, understanding and application can advance hypnosis and hypnotic experience. Loads to learn in this session today. Um, we'll then round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom following their time here on the Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle, dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please do go. Give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. And it takes just a couple of seconds, one or two clicks, just to give us a, a favourable rating. It means a lot to us. Um, um, please go do that. So, first of all, today is uh, this week's interview with René Von der Flott. Um, um, René is someone who was introduced to me by a good friend and colleague. Um, so my thanks go to you, Carol, out there. Um, and someone, uh, René, somebody that I, I'm absolutely delighted um, um, is here on this show. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about her and her work um, um, and, and, and her background as well, which is, which, is, which is fascinating. One of the things I just loved about Renee and about this interview and this, the, the ensuing discussion that we have is, is the way she communicates, which I found to be not just incredibly endearing and, and full of passion, um, um, but, but really beautiful. Now, I'm not just going to gush uh, with this week's uh, introduction. Instead, I'm going to go straight into our interview view and let you discover Renee and her work for yourself. So for now, get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. (music) 
So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only René van der Vloot to the podcast. Um, welcome, René. Hello, Adam. So nice to be here. Now, usually I would have done this off air. Am, am, am I pronouncing your surname correctly? Well, it's, I'll tell you, it's René van der Vloot. Van der Vloot. But um, since I've been here for nearly 40 years, I, I um, very much accept the way you've said it. <laughs> okay, 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 great, great. Well, you, that's very charitable of you. I appreciate that. So let's learn a little bit about you, first of all. Um, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your background, um, um, how you got into this, this field and the related fields that you are involved in, and, and how you've arrived at where you are now. Yeah, okay. Well, um, since I'm approaching 60, Adam, I've had um, I've, I've been in lots of places and actually what seemed to be originally like a sort of a checkered movement forward or sideways or whatever um, has turned out to be actually a building of, of experiences. And, and so if I look back on my life, the whole um, business of the creative mind and being interested in it has always been there because I was kind of born into a family of um, adventurers where there was huge high drama was always um, part of the diet, um, high levels of arousal, you know, all of that. But then I became an art historian. And from there, I um, I was only I came to England just uh, nearly 40 years ago for um, mm. three months and I'm still here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know how it goes. Yeah. I, and then I landed myself into an amazing job in uh, BBC television. Um, making, um, helping make, I was a researcher at the time, um, programs in the music and arts department. Um, so they were all documentaries about artists yeah. and creative people, you know, fantastic learning that was. And from there I went into teaching. And that, there is where I started finding my real home because I got very interested in those um pupils I, I was teaching the international baccalaureate and a levels yeah. and i loved working with teenagers you know um and how but there was such a discrepancy particularly when teaching literature between the way that i met people in the flesh and what i had on the page to judge them by mm. and this really became enormously interesting to me and the and the and the more uh, let's say, difficult I found a person to teach, as it were, in the conventional way, the more interested I became in that person. So here's where I veered off and uh, got very interested in dyslexia, in ADHD, in all the diagnoses, as it were, of a shortfall. And mm. I thought, hang on a minute. In the meantime, I had my own children and <laughs> guess, guess what? They were also in this continuum. Um, and I thought, you know, um, this this is weird, you know, what are we measuring against? So that is how I started with a practice for teaching people with dyslexia and ADD. And they were right across the board from young children to adults. And th that comes with baggage, of course, you know. So um, when once when on a certain occasion, a colleague of mine, very creative woman, but also very anxious, had told me how she'd been to see somebody um, who saw her once and enabled her to stand on a stage. I thought, my God, what's this? How's this possible? Anyway, so it, obviously that person had come across a very talented hypnotherapist. And um, that's when I moved into uh, the whole 
area of hypnotherapy through the human givens and yeah. uh, I, 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 uh, so that was in about 2002 I trained I and then for 10 years I taught and when Joe Griffin left I taught the diploma and so that for me was really my homecoming yeah. but since I'm very much an out-of-the-box person like you perhaps I do have this constant urge to learn more, to find more people to teach me. And so, you know, there are so many more limbs to what I do, but we perhaps we get into that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's fascinating that you were there, you know, some of the real developmental phases of, of human givens and, and, and were teaching um, yeah. um, with regards to it. Now, um, 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 let, let's talk a little bit about hypnosis, you know, yes. th throughout the years and throughout your, your own journey. Um, um, wh where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? That is, um, do, do you have a, a, a definition of such? Um, and if so, how did you arrive at that? And, and how do you explain hypnosis to the people that you encounter or your clients or the people that you're going to perhaps use it with? OK, now. Um, I suppose that my definition of it, I don't have a fixed one, um, sure. but it's constantly moving yeah. uh, because uh, I think that if you're talking about, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do, a, a human being is so complex, really. Yeah. And what I've discovered more and more is how every facet of us is interconnected. So there is, for me, no separation between parts, if you like. Yeah. And, and so when I talk about hypnosis in itself, it's for me a vehicle to get a person into a certain state, a deep trance state, the deepest trance state, which is the REM state. Mm. And that, so, so that in itself is what hypnosis is. What you then do, you know, it, so then it becomes a vehicle to start a uh, influencing a person if you like so you can amplify their resources you can mobilize those resources um, you you deliver information and you can do that on, in so many different ways directly and indirectly metaphorically mm. uh, you can help motivate and you see that if you're working with creative people is so incredibly important because they will not do anything unless they feel that they can see the point of it so motivation, you can accelerate learning. And here's the thing which I'm really getting so increasingly excited with is that whole sense of you teach them through giving them experiences. And that's what you can, all these things you can do through this vehicle that I call, that we call hypnosis. Mm, mm, fascinating, fascinating. How, how have you been influenced? I mean, you've spoken, you've spoken a little bit about, about some of the influences within, within your own background. Um, yes. Um, can, can, you, can you share with us some of your major influences? Yes. Um, perhaps okay. even some of the books and some of the authors, um, and some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you and, and, and perhaps some of the reasons why. How long have you got, Adam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me just try and take some real highlights out, okay? Yeah. So the first really important, I've just been very lucky because I've found teachers everywhere in my life, just mm. absolutely everywhere from when I was very small. But here's the thing that when I started really looking to, well, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to serve the world? <laughs> you know, that's always been my thing. Um, I came across this man called Ron Davis, and mm. he developed a method called um, the Davis dyslexia approach to uh, the David Davis, sorry, method 
which is an approach to dyslexia. And what it is, it's very tactile, but what was the really key element there, which I bring into everyday life, is the fact that, and this was a real eye-opener, that our perceptions are very influenced by our emotions. Mm. You know, so there is no such thing as a fixture of uh, uh, of a way of seeing of uh, intelligence. It's all mobile the whole time because it's utterly influenced by our emotions. Yeah. So that was really a uh, very, very um, a, a huge breakthrough for me. And the book that the work is based on is um, The Gift of Dyslexia. Mm. And, and so what he taught me also, because I used his method to teach people to read. Yeah. You see, he couldn't read at the the age of, I don't know, as an adult. And he taught himself in a tactile way using clay. So I used, I, I, I used plasticine when I was teaching people to, to read. Yeah. And, and you see what it is. It's the experience. It's that, so I, I really started to understand um, that there are a sizable amount of people who learn through experiencing, so through doing through seeing and not just through having stuff stuffed into them. Yeah. You know, that word educate comes from the Latin educare. It's about drawing out. Isn't that what we're doing in our work the whole time? Trying to draw out what's in there rather than to stuff something in which doesn't belong. Yeah. yeah. So so that that was the first. And then in human givens for me, I you know, that was my true homecoming. So Joe Griffin I consider as a real genius, a, a, a very undervalued man, really, in lots of ways, very modest. But the way that um, he and Ivan Tyrrell managed to, um, let's say, create a paradigm from which to work, which is so big that it can synthesize all of the findings of neuroscience, biology, psychology, ancient wisdom, and yet you know, it's so simple because the bottom line is we as living organisms come into the world with needs and they're, they're physical, they're emotional. Um, and when, but we also have our own, let's say in this guidance system package that we carry, we have our own resources to get those needs met. So if you can match those two up, a person would not just be well, but growing, expanding, moving, you know, we talk about things like post-traumatic growth, but actually it's it's if a, if a person's well, we're always moving and growing. Mm. We not. So so that was really another huge. Well, let's say it's the big picture on my wall where I had lots of diplomas. Let's say it became a, a big landscape. All those little frames merged into the bigger. They managed to do that for me. Yeah. Um, but I also have found a massive amount of influence from a man who I haven't done a, a great deal of training with, but um, who I've also read quite a, a bit of, but that's Michael Yapko. Yes. And uh, I just, I don't know what it is about him that that um, I find so inspirational. Maybe it's his entrancing voice, or but really uh, I love the way that he's made me understood that you can use hypnosis with such a light touch and, and you can carry on talking to a person and apply all your real cognitive behavioral insights. Um, so he, he's been very important and I often go back to what he says and um, he, he always helps me to see things in a bigger frame also. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so he is, uh, for me, a very important person um, in how to 
really use hypnosis. I suppose I'll tell you why I think that I, I separate him out is because in Human Givens, we don't really talk even about the word hypnosis. Did you know that? Mm, yeah. We use guided imagery. Yes. So, um, and, and, and he puts, Michael puts hypnosis right at the center and at the heart of what he does. And I really have become so very bold to, to do the same. Yeah. Um, you know, he's helped me in that way. And then I want to also mention to you somebody who, who really liberated me and really made my heart sing is this man called Daniel Pink. Have you ever come across him? No, I haven't. Well, he, he's written a lot, and this is perhaps not one of his most famous books. I've never met him or anything, but um, the book is called A Whole New Mind. Mm. And the, the, the strap line is Why Right Brainers Will Rule the Future. And I, when I read that book, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is why I do what I'm doing. Yeah. Because what he basically says is that the, the, the world in which we live is changing and has changed beyond recognition. The problems that we have on a planetary level are so vast, you know, and just if you just repeat what you've learned and if you're good at that, you are not going to help come up with solutions and it's exactly these people who we can't really define who are outside of the box who are creative who have as he puts it the keys to the kingdom of the future mm. Mm. you know so i would really encourage people to read that book even if you are creative you know there's nothing in there that maybe you don't already know because he teaches what he basically teaches is left brainers like himself you know the lawyers and the and the conventional thinkers of the world to do creative things so that they can start coming outside of their yeah. uh, delineated paths but nonetheless you know and and if if you want to hear him speak i would recommend to go to his website where he has a very lengthy interview with again one of my ins inspirational people uh, Oprah Winfrey mm. and because she she loves that book because she realizes that she's one of those people yeah um, and and it's just the way that they explore creativity and um you know but as you and I will know there is often a huge price tag attached to being creative it's all mm. very well, but unless you have something to show for it and that's the bit Cool. where we, in our work, do the helping. You know, how do you build the bridge from all the potential to the world beyond? Because unless there's anything out there, you know, we still don't really exist. Yeah. Start sounds harsh, but, you know, so uh, that that's where I feel that I fit, that helping, yeah. helping people to express themselves consistently rather than uh, in an inconsistent way. Mm. Uh, you know, um, um, I... I, I, a, a big smile cracked upon my face while oh. you were saying that. I mean, I, I was smiling anyway, um, um, but, you know, really beaming. That was uh, um, music, real music to my ears. Really? Um, um, tell me, tell me, with regards to hypnosis, what, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, you, that you've actually directly witnessed? Okay, I mean, that's such a difficult question, isn't, isn't it? Because yes. there are extraordinary things that happen. Um, but here's a story which I thought was, um, I was thinking about it the other day, actually, when I was teaching uh, a group, and, and this story came to mind of a woman who came to me some while ago. And um, she 
she was a bit sort of uh, um, confused about what she really wanted from me. Um, but she was very clearly a, a very um, creative sort of person. So she had lots of things going, but she didn't quite know which one of them was more important. And But the heart of the matter was, at this moment, the most urgent thing I asked her then was the fact that she hadn't paid her taxes for over three years. And she was very happy with the fines, but she just couldn't get herself to fill out the form. So when, the you know, and get on with the work. So the organizational component. And I and there was a part of me that thought, well, she's a really bright woman. So I asked her, well, you know, have you done any have you done any courses on 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 organization, time management, whatever? And she said, oh, yes, masses. So I knew that I should not be going down this path at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that would set me up for an instant failure and her her or most importantly, her yet again. And so I sat very uncomfortably, Adam, for an hour listening to lots of different strands of her story. Um, and, you know, another component was that she wanted to lose weight. Um, uh, anyway, and then so I had to sit with not knowing, absolutely not knowing what to do. And about 10 minutes before our, our hour was up, she said, oh, look, I'm not sure um, if this is relevant at all. And she told me about a... Uh, a, a single no it wasn't a single it happened maybe two or three times um she in her childhood she'd been abused by a, fa a very close family member mm. and she had never thought about it in her life again you know it had passed it had never been spoken about and um so i i then asked her well when you think about that family member you know what association so what are you feeling so using the affect mm. and she then described um a feeling of uh, being bullied and and then we got closer to um her parents and the way she was parented and she had that same physical resistance to being told what to do um and i asked her you know when you think about these tax forms what happens and then this huge you know, her face lit up and she said, well, exactly the same. Mm. The next time I did um, what we call the rewind. So I used hypnosis to neutralize that nasty experience of childhood. And it was really extraordinary, Adam, what happened then, because she started shaking in front of me, her, you know, trembling. Um, her legs were shaking. Um, anyway, we went through it. It was quite an extensive session, hypnosis. Yeah. She came out and she described to me that she had been uh, somewhere else. So she'd spent most of her life not in her body, she said. She, and that during this, she said she landed in, into herself, physically became aware of her body. Now, I do do a lot of embodied work in the hypnosis suggestion. Yeah. But she landed in there. And then what happened subsequently to this session. So I only saw her one more time again for a review, which was mm. up, uh, two weeks later. She, the, the taxes was just no problem because she realized that those forms were not the, you know, that, that she could do this. Uh, so that resistance had gone and she just got on with it and that never looked back there again. The other thing was that she started feeling her stomach. So she didn't need to go on any extensive diet because her stomach, she could hear this, she could feel her stomach now. Mm. It was, she could tell when she'd had enough food. She could tell when she was having the right or the wrong food. 
So this was the feedback she gave me. And then the other thing um, uh, that she also said was, uh, as a by the, by the by, is that she'd always had the shower on very, very high temperature. And now she, she cooled it right down because she could feel the temperature of the water. Yeah. After that one hypnosis session. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. It really is. So what I learned so much from that one and why I mentioned that one is to, to really illustrate what for me is so important to keep looking at how we manifest in patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that she associated the the um, the, the tax forms and, and you know, all, all the admin as kind of being bullied that that feeling came from somewhere completely different but it, in her mind in metaphorically it was the same feeling yeah. i will and her response was i'm not going to be told by you what to do yeah you know yeah. so 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 if we can look at things in in pattern rather than the details you don't have to manage the symptoms in the same way that's what i find with hypnosis so so powerful often i'm not saying it's it's as easy as this every time yeah. and as you know it wasn't easy because i sat there for an hour yeah absolutely oh my god i don't know what to do absolutely um um yeah that's you know um, fascinating stuff as i said um i i think there's a there's a huge amount to be learned there um from from hearing that you know i think that's that's a really valuable um, some really valuable insight. Uh, and, and speaking of which, um, if you could go back then yeah. to, to, to some of the sort of earlier stages of, of your journey and, and, and you're kind of exploring this field um, when you were starting out um, um, as a professional exploring hypnosis and hypnotherapy, for example, knowing, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? And if so, what? And is there any advice that the person you are today would give to that, that younger version of you that you'd also share with um, um, our listeners? Yeah, that's such a good question. Do you know, I don't think that anything I would have, I don't think I would have done anything differently because all of my perceived hardships you know so I have for a while I thought because originally I wanted to become um, a psychologist mm. and um, my father wasn't so keen on the idea and that's why I became an art historian mm. but and so sometimes I wondered you know should I have done that but actually do you know what at the time that the, the, behavioral therapy was the only thing so I think I would have got very very um, just lost actually so what I'm trying to say is that all of the, the uh, everything, every difficulty, every opportunity to kind of face, um, you know, what have I not got here, as it were, um, every hardship has made me into the person I am today. So if yeah. I'd gone down the conventional route, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Yeah, yeah, All right. absolutely. So that's one thing, I wouldn't have done anything differently, except one thing I would have done very differently, and this is the advice I would give my younger self, any young person starting off, is relax you know just be kinder to yourself enjoy the journey yeah. get yourself good supervisors get yourself peers be vulnerable with people have the courage to open up more freely um, because that's been a journey and it's that thing to feel safe in your not knowing early on that I would have done differently if you like yeah um... not not ticking the boxes of what diploma or or uh, or um you know degree not that one sure 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 yeah that you know um uh, again again a really big 
um, a really big smile on my face when you said that. You know, I, 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 it really resonates well with me that idea of relax, be okay. You know, and, and, and remember, this is this is your experience of life that's occurring yeah. r right now. You know, uh, if, if you spend the entire time chasing stuff you've not got, you know, that, that chasm that exists of, of of frustration between where you're at and where you want to be, you, you completely miss where you're at oh and, so much so yeah. and isn't there a lot in getting lost yeah absolutely there is yeah you know yeah. so this the way that we educate children now that everything has to be so targeted target driven uh, you know how can you possibly discover what your calling is in life if you follow these artificial markers all the way. I'm not saying they're wrong completely, but I think we've become utterly obsessed with them. Mm, mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, now, we are going to speak in some depth about the creative mind. Um, I'm, I'm coming up shortly. Um, just for now, where can people go to learn more about you, to learn more about your work and your approach and, and so on? Okay, thank you for asking that. So I have a website, um, which is my name, reneevanderfloot.com. Yeah. And um, th that's where, you know, my, my work, my blogs, my, the CD that I've written, produced on the creative mind is there. Also, workshops that I give for therapists. So I do, um, I just uh, do the odd uh, CPD day yeah. on various topics. And um, we're launching a new one in the autumn, which is just about the creative mind. So all that is on my website. Yeah. Um, and I, if I can send you the link, Adam, that would yeah, be great. Well, yeah, and there will be a link to that on this episode um, page of the Hypnosis Weekly website as well. Thank you. Great, great, great. We will be back with Rene in just a few short minutes time. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Uh, we shall be back with Rene shortly. And who knows, by the end of today's show, I may even pronounce her surname correctly, even if just the once. Honestly, I feel like such a Luddite sometimes. Um, today, in place of the usual hypnosis in the news section, I'm talking about hypnosis scripts and the use of them. Um, and to coin uh, um, a section from one of the, the, the deepest and most uh, profoundly meaningful poems uh, uh, of my lifetime, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll go and eat worms. Yes, indeed. So these are the sentiments, the words that I hear spoken um, every day by perfectly good hypnosis scripts around the world. Uh, one script uh, got in touch with me, even told me recently that um, um, a new hypnotherapy training school recently recorded a Talking Heads video clip that featured on social media. And they were reading a script at the same time saying how their training was not about reading scripts. And the irony was not wasted on me or that script. Now, scripts these days do tend to be much maligned. It seems very popular to be able to, to, to utilise uh, language patterns and have skill and ability with regards to doing that and to totally freestyle in the therapy room. And I agree it is important to understand the underpinning rationale of a technique or a strategy and be able to focus your attention upon the client without having to read. 
Likewise, um, I don't think it seems uh, or appears very professional. It doesn't appear very skilled to, to be reading a hypnosis script if your client opens his or her eyes during hypnosis. And I get that. I absolutely get that. Um, I do think there is a case for the use of scripts, though. And I think to, to, to just outlaw them and criminalize them is, um, um, is probably a misplaced sentiment. Um, firstly, you know, that they are incredibly important as a training tool. Um, I believe to indicate and show and highlight a formalized structure of particular techniques, approaches, and, and you know, the, the language patterns themselves um, uh, within, within some models of hypnosis um, in particular. Secondly, I think, you know, it, 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 it's, it's really important to know and to recognize that in research studies, scripts used need to be standardized. Um, um, as I know from my own uh, research experiences, the scripts that are then used and 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 are and an integral part of the methodology, I mean, you know, to teach that methodology totally differently using scripts or using language that's quite unlike those used in the research cannot guarantee or or even hang on the shirt tails of the original wording that displayed the efficacy that got the the results. You know, they they contribute greatly to the standardization of certain techniques, um, um, th those that have an evidence base anyway. So, you know, it, it's important important to be aware of and consider using standardized approaches you know under certain circumstances with and thirdly i think with with big script based books in particular this can be some useful inspiration for examining approaches getting useful ideas for developing approaches for particular issues and clients um those that have a variety of scripts from different authors i think are a great reference guide anyway i'm not necessarily talking about those books where one particular author has basically applied one single approach to script writing uh, to lots of different issues and just exchanged the words stop smoking for weight reduction for example I agree, and I can understand that too much reliance on scripts could be problematic. Um, you know, you need to better think your way around certain situations. But as I've already said, I think that absolute criminalization of scripts in the field of hypnotherapy is, is, is uncalled for. In particular, you know, um, one of the well, one of the debates that I often raise and discussion points that I often raise is, you know, if, if you if you've assessed a client thoroughly and decided that they would definitely benefit from a highly evidence based protocol such as hypnotic desensitization, for example, um, it makes absolute sense to use a standardized script and, and personalize it with their name and so on and make it personal. But, you, you know, uh, under what circumstances does it does it kind of become okay for you to decide that you know better and you can use better wording than that which is supported heavily by evidence? I think it's a really important debate um, and one that requires some balance and some due consideration. So, you know, do you use scripts? If so, to what extent? Do you think they should be banned at all costs? Do you think they have other uses and applications? Um, and this is a discussion that we've been having over at the Facebook hypnosis discussion group that I recently set up. Do come and join us if you'd like to read the thoughts of many of our former guests of this podcast um, have contributed to this topic and given some really valuable insight and discussion as far as this is concerned. There is a link over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website to that Facebook group or you can just search um, um, Adam Eason Anglo-European College of Therapeutic Hypnosis um, Facebook groups and you'll find us I'm sure. 
Next up, uh, then, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back René van der Vloot. It just so happened that when I was talking to René about her favourite subjects and what we were going to discuss here on the show, and when she mentioned to me the notion of her work on the creative mind, um, um, which is quite different than, than perhaps you, you, you initially may, may think, um, um, certainly it was different than what my initial thoughts were going to be, um, two people... Um, when we were discussing this, two people that I know really well and I greatly respect, rather randomly and quite cosmically, it would seem, also mentioned René's creative mind via social media. And I was really keen to learn more. And as you'll as you'll hear, René explains that creative minds are a very particular way of seeing the world and experiencing it and and solving problems and these creative thinkers um, are very much in demand and, and required in the world today yet they have struggles and learning from them and understanding their challenge um, um, is, 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 is part of what we're discussing here but also how this all applies to hypnosis hypnotherapy, receptivity to hypnotic messages and a wide number of other things. There's loads of fascinating stuff to learn here today. So here is this week's professional discussion with René van der Vloot. Enjoy. So I'm rejoined um, this week's guest, René Vantaflot, and um, we're going to be talking about um, a real passion of René's, and that is the, the creative mind. Um, um, René, welcome back. First of all, what, what are we talking about here? What do we actually mean? Let's just um, um, frame things and, and make sure that, that people listening have a good understanding of what we're actually talking about and what we're referring to when we talk about the creative mind Okay, it's a very important question and one that I'm not sure that I can answer properly. Sure. But here's here's me having a go, all right? Um, because the container is quite large and obviously we're all on a continuum. There are many people who have some aspects of this, but not, not all of them. But really what we're talking about, Adam, is people who, um, who favour, as it were, the right brain creative side of their brain over the left uh, left brain which is more logical you can also refer to them as mavericks or they've been called outliers or out-of-the-box thinkers mm. but let me just give you some um, examples of, of, of traits that they might have which are often more easy to recognize so there are people who are very much guided by their heart and often more than their head, and often too much. They're visual kinesthetic learners, so they're very visual, or, or they, their feelings are very important to them. Um, they, they, um, you can sometimes. It's not as if they necessarily need to be artists, but you see it by the way that they conduct their their um, lives. So, for example, you see, uh, yes, there are artists, actors, but also adventurous healers. I wouldn't be surprised if a large contingent of therapists were on this continuum, craftspeople, musicians, um, but the, there's also very often a um, price tag attached to this the talent of the creative person. Do you want me to talk about those now or do you want to come back to them? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. if, if okay. it's natural to go into that then yeah, yeah. please. So, so um, where I first came into understanding about the creative mind was from a position of lack, you see. Mm. So I started being interested in dyslexic people. And mm. then I thought, hang on a minute. I've been reading about 
ADD and ADHD and there's there's an overlap and then autism came along and you know you can carry on and on and on and certainly nowadays if you see the size of the DSM handbook you know yes. you can you can go on diagnosing and I thought this this doesn't make sense at all you know um, so yes I can we come in at the price tag so that could be that they find it they have difficulty with paying attention in terms of Sometimes they can be totally distracted or they can fall into the trap of being very hyper-focused. Mm. They often have poor organizational skills. Their sense of time, in other words, time management, is poor. Um, they, they'll have huge, great plans. I'm you know, I get letters every day from people who have huge visions for their lives, but the steps leading there, they just don't know how to put them down. Um, so that they... They're, they're often even not recognized, you know, in terms of their talents are not recognized because the, they're, they're so drowned by the day demands of daily life that what you see when they come through the door, things like anxiety or depression or anger problems or, you know, so, so their talents are very often submerged by all the, the chaos of, of their daily lives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, I'm, 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 I, I see that, and and and, um, I see how that, how, how your interest there has developed, and and how that's how that's come into play. Tell me a little bit, um, um, um what is it that makes creatives then these the, the, these creative individuals? Um, what what makes them such good hypnotic subjects? Okay. Um, wonderful question because in order to help them yes we need to mobilize their resources and one of them is their imagination so they they're, they're very entra easily entranced mm. in other words this is also the reason that they um, often don't get on because they get so very sidetracked by their minds by their imaginations but the right. fact matter is Adam they spend most of their time already daydreaming so they're very easy hypnotic subjects mm. Mm. and and you know that that vivid imagination um, certainly I have experiences professionally and personally yes you know that the, the vivid imagination is 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 a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing on occasions yes yet there are other occasions where in fact it is hampered. Um, 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 and, and perhaps you could just just explain a little bit that that about how having such a vivid imagination can aid and you know work against us and hamper the the personal change process on occasion. Okay, so um, the the way that it can get in the way is what I may may not have just said about uh, creative people is that they tend to. Um, not see the difference between what they feel about the world yeah. and what's actually going on. Right. Right. So, so part of the work is you have to peel their emotions off the facts because they believe their feelings. They revere their feelings just because they feel it. It's so. So they have often a huge sense of justice and injustice. You know, these little boys that I work with, the, the, the sense of fairness. When, when, when in some way they feel that life isn't unfair, they just cannot move from there. So uh, that, that can hamper you if you revere your feelings to such an extent that you can't see then perhaps other people's points of view. Yes. Um, the, the, the fact that things can change 
so, but you can also misuse your imagination because the imagination is the great resource here. And again, people are surprised they'll come to me because of the misuse of their imagination, as I will put it. Uh, but they don't see that actually they've got a talent. They don't see themselves as, as a talented people in any way. Um, and, and, and so what they've got stuck in is anxiety. So very often it'll come through your door in just anxiety that's gone awry or um, somebody who just goes around the loop of being angry at everything. You know how addictive anger can be also. And because we're talking about people who have an obsessive nature, they can, they can easily get addicted to their anger. Yes. Um, and then when life is just not happening for them and their need, they can't get their needs met, they'll be depressed. So in that way, the, imagine, the, the um, Im creative mind can actually really obstruct you moving on in life. It can really hamper your life. So your big resource can hamper you personally. And if you, have, if you can't disconnect from your feelings, you know, they did research as to which pilots in the Second World War developed PTSD. Well, the ones with the biggest bomber pilots I'm talking about. So the ones with the biggest imagination, the ones who could think about, well, what would be the implication of me dropping this bomb on the city? That Those were the ones who developed mental disorders, not the ones who just dropped the bomb, pressed the button, went home, disconnect. Mm. Yes. So can you see how... Yeah. Your, your feelings, if you feel about everything that you see and think about and every time you switch on television news, um, you're going to get stuck very quickly because it doesn't help you move forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, so, so, and so I'm guessing that hypnotherapy c c can help in that, oh, in that instance. Hypnotherapy is fantastic on so many levels. So just to name a few, you it, it, it's such a lovely place if you get a person to a nice place to, to get them to, to first of all to calm down mm. because the high levels of arousal stop them from seeing subtle shades of gray yeah. all right you, you good therapy gives a person a, a different framework a different experience of life and that so you can also start giving them different experiences because they're so experiential you can really make that happen for them you know um, you can also help them reinterpret what's been going on so you can help them give real meaning to their suffering you can motivate them because remember what i said a creative person will not do anything unless they can see the point of it the amount of mm. young men who fall by the wayside of the school of the educational system it's not because they can't learn that's what the message we give them but it's false the thing is they can't see what how what they're asked to do in the classroom connects to the world they want to join it join yes you know, so you're helping motivate. So if you get, you can activate, you can really, really activate in hypnosis their values and, and, and mobilize that sense of justice and injustice and what's worthwhile and, and then help break down the little pieces because as, um, you know, as, as uh, I, somewhere uh, I, I was reading that um, a goal without steps is only a wish. Mm. I think it's probably something that Michael Yapko might have said. Yeah. Or without steps, but you know, so you first of all, you help motivate them, get the energy going by putting the goals out there, but you absolutely painstakingly rehearse the process of getting there mm. because otherwise their brain will interpret it as a job already done. Yes. Think about this. The amount of creative people that I know who have garages full of unfinished projects. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 
already happened in their head, you see. Yeah. So uh, this is the, this is the thing that in hypnosis, if you can help them with the process, and also um, to really acknowledge, here's another thing which is a very important component, I think, when you're working with a creative person. Um, we can we can get very um, I th I, sometimes when we don't know what to do with a client as therapists, you can fall into the trap of saying, oh well, that person's so resistant. And in doing that, you're kind of putting, you know, not being accountable for your own work as a therapist. But actually, what if you can normalize the fact that any one of us, we're not a fixture, everything's moving. So we, it's a very normal part of life to have conflicting motivations. Yes. And that, you see, if you normalize that and then start talking to these different motivators, uh, in fact, I was uh, I was listening to somebody the other day, an American psychologist. She was saying that the more um, autonomous a person is, the more a person is a free-spirited person, the more that also they get in the way of their own intentions because that part of the brain that thinks, oh, it's a good idea to start running or it's a good idea to diet, uh, the other part of the brain will say, hang on a minute, who are you to tell me what to do? Yeah. You, you know, so that's all normal here. It's not, it's just part of the game. So if you just take it in your stride and, and, and really don't see it as a threat to the therapy, but you get them to engage with the, these different motivators and then to find slice the little steps they need to take for the process to take place. Um, you can use hypnosis in, in an immensely powerful way and uh, you can mobilize people who have been trying out different things in lots of different ways for years. Really, it's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it makes it makes a huge amount of sense. Um, um, it, it really does. And the, the, the overlap with a lot of the sort of principles that, 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 that I speak about probably probably slightly more dryly to be quite honest um, um, um you, you know you, you you make a lot of those principles seem so much so you know to, to, to make so much sense in 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 such a palatable fashion this this idea that um <clears throat> you know that, that, that there that there's a real evidence-based notion of um um, imagination correlating with people being a good hypnotic subject yes. um, um, there's 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 a lot of you know therapeutic rationale to, to 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 show that you know people's imaginations do do create havoc for them you know it, it, whether it's in the form of excessive rumination whether it's in the form of um, 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 you know fantastical thought processes or catastrophizing or you yeah. know numerous types of cognitive distortions um, um it, it, you know it, it's it's it, it makes a lot of sense what what you are saying there now in in this regard where can people go and learn more about this approach and your approach and your creation and and and, and, and what you've put together here um with regards to the creative mind okay um Thank you very much for asking. I'm very much in the process of, of, of doing this, Adam. So for, for now, I've got a CD which people can download, which is all about, it's entitled Calm the Chaos of the Creative Mind. Yeah. And um, in fact, if you get the, the, the CD itself, then um, there's a little booklet that comes with it, which is the whole transcript of the content. Right. Uh, you can just download it from iTunes, but everything through my website, just go to my website. The other thing is that because people have been pulling at me for so long about this subject, I am putting together um, 
and supported um, by actually, I think one of your supervisors, could it be Carol Samuda? Yeah. In, um, in, in, in launching a, a workshop for therapists on this particular subject. Wow, brilliant. Um, so to, but, but it's very much work in pro, uh, in, just in progress because, uh, you know, you can't in one day give people a how-to guide. But if, if you as therapists can wake up to this phenomenon, then there's a whole amount more that you can do with the skills you already have. So in other words, you don't really have to learn any other skills. As you just said, actually, you've, you've just confirmed that. It's not about the skills, but it's about giving them a context within this problem and the overuse of the imagination and what it is to be a creative person. Yeah. You know, so there's a workshop that is uh, in Regents College in London on the 4th of November, um, but the dates are all on my uh, on my website, on that website, is when yeah. we'll be launching this workshop on the creative mind for therapists. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a copy of the ebook is currently winging its way to me um, it because uh, I have, I have, I've rather naughtily, while we've been, uh, you know, patience is just not quite clearly not my strength, <laughs> um, and I've, um, um, I've. I've sent off for it. Um, um, there will be a link to the website renivantaflot.com um, um, over at the this page of the uh, Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, so go grab a copy yourself as well. Go learn more about the uh, the creative mind and Rene's approach as far as that's concerned. Thanks. And this is also my blog, which comes out every two weeks. So there's loads and loads of resources actually freely available on my website. You know, um, so so do look there. I've written masses and masses. That's the shelf. By the way, Adam, you remind me of another trait of the creative mind, which is uh, the difficulty of postponing gratification. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've yes. just illustrated it. Yes, yes. Th thank you. Thank you. Th 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 this is the problem of spending so much time. Um, I'm, I'm speaking to utterly brilliant people. It's like it's, it's like each time I have these conversations, it, it, a big mirror gets put up. And um, yet there I am laid bare. Um, um, but I, you know, thank you. You've been incredibly generous with your with your information and your spirit today. And um, um, there will be the links to the website and 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 a whole bunch more. Um, Renee, thank you very much for being this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly. Adam, thank you so much for giving me this platform. It's been such a pleasure and honour. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. And did you see the photo of Renee over at this episode's page of the podcast website uh, of her with her beautiful dog? Oh, cuddly and lovely. Um, so evidence based hypnosis factoid of the week. The fact of the week is this, and that is that self hypnosis can be used to help children overcome a habit cough. Yes, indeed. A report compiled by Anbar and Hall in 2004 provided information on the use of self-hypnosis with children and adolescents for dealing with a habit cough. Um, and children that had expressed an interest um, um, with, with the study were offered self-hypnosis training within three 30 to 45 minute sessions. So it doesn't really, um, um, it, 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 it's not considered a randomized controlled trial because 
that there, there was self-selecting um, um, the people that were in the study, which which you know has as methodological issues of of a completely different kind. Um, um, however, the instructions also that were given were not standardised, and and there was a range of different self-induction, relaxation, cough-related imagery instructions that were given, with further instructions to then practice at home daily for a couple of weeks, and the children were were, were to devise, um, um, having having been taught self-hypnosis, were to devise their own solutions, which I think is wonderful. You know, self-efficacy and and self-regulation um, are, are at the heart of good quality self-hypnosis as far as I'm concerned. Of the 51 children who received the self-hypnosis training, 78% of them experienced complete resolution of the cough immediately or within one week of the sessions, um, which I just think is lovely. Um, um, really, really uh, enjoyed sharing that particular uh, thing with you this particular week. So, There you have it. Uh, That's it for um, this week's 74th edition. There is a link to that particular research paper that's included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks. Uh, We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome the phenomenon that is Mr. Michael Perez. Uh, He crams so much absolute gold into every minute of this show. Are you going to love it? Um, He'll even tell you about the time he spent in a horse x-ray machine. Yes, indeed. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to René van der Vloot and thank you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.